Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It would air like really late at night, and I would set an alarm clock. I would like go to bed, set an alarm clock, and wake up and watch it on Showtime because my parents and everyone would be asleep. So I'd like wake up and like sneak into the living room and like sit right in front of the TV, keep the volume down on like a five so I could like hear it, but I would have to like sit like this. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Ship Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Megan Fitzgerald, and happy Pride, everybody! I'm joined today by J.P. Maddock. J.P., say hi. Hello! Uh, Hi! Hi! For Pride. Which I recognize we are recording this the day after Pride, but here was the thing, and technically this episode comes out on July 1st, but my problem in recording this episode and gathering all of these stories is that to get in the way of anybody celebrating Pride in order to record this podcast uh, felt antithetical to ask someone to be sober enough to talk analytically about LGBTQIA representation in TV during Pride weekend. So here we are. It's July 1st, technically. I saw a tweet that someone was like, my mom asked if Pride was just a day, a week, or a month. And they responded, it's a whole life, baby. Um, So this is kind of a mailbag episode. I asked uh, our listeners and friends what queer couple or LGBTQIA relationship or character from TV affected them or impacted them in a meaningful way. And people slid into the DMs and then we got a chance to connect with some people about it. So today we're going to talk about those characters and what they meant to people and how they impacted them. Hot. 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 And I think this episode would be important and necessary in any year at any time. As we said, it's a lifestyle But specifically, something I wanted to point out is that according to a GLAAD study at the beginning of this year, queer representation in television is actually down for the first time in five years. So this was a study that looked at the 2020 to 2021 season of TV. So yes, maybe some things were impacted because of COVID. But in a study that that they did across all cable, streaming, and broadcast shows... LGBTQ characters only made up 9.1% of the characters on television, while previously they had made uh, over 10%. And so the numbers, if, which I th- I just thought this was interesting, an interesting way to think about it. The previous t- t- season of TV, this study, the same study had identified 488 queer characters. And this season of TV, the 20 to 2020 to 2021 season, only had 360 so we lost, we lost a hun- over a hundred of them. Dang. Okay. So I just looked this up because I was like, I wonder what the statistic is for how many like percentage of open adult LGBTQIA mm-hmm. plus people mm-hmm. in population for America. And it's mm-hmm. according to a study or a poll in 2020, it's 5.6%. Yeah. So TV is still on the way up a little bit higher than the population but in my mind everyone's a little gay especially now i mean i i was just talking to this couple that is uh the term is 
mixed orientation, orientation. Mm-hmm. when one mm-hmm. one person in the relationship is let's say one person is straight and the other person is bi mm-hmm. that that would consider them a mixed orientation relationship and so that straight person is now a part of the queer community yeah. uh, so yeah. it is there are like the terms are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's also you're seeing so many more celebrities come out and embrace their identity and their sexuality yeah which I think is really great. And 5.6 feels low to me. I wonder Same. what exact parameters they're using for that. But well, I, I think guarantee e- all of the baby boomers were like, no. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm straight. Yeah, we need we I guess it'll be like really when Gen Z right. become like full adults. Right. Um, Cuz yeah, they were will be a part of that study. This is yeah. adults. Right. Because I think I read something recently that more than half of Gen Z knows somebody who identifies as non-binary. I think that generation, I think I can see the thing. I think I've said this on a previous episode. The thing that our kids tell us that we're like narrow-minded and not woke mm-hmm. about is the use of labels at all. Right. You know what I mean? Do you, I mean, I remember a few years ago when there was an active push to, uh, it still is an active push to use your pronouns Mm-hmm. And I remember having co- like conversation after conversation of like the difference of what a cis male and a trans male or non-conforming male, like mm-hmm. any of those terms, like what they meant. And I remember being like, you have to like really, really think about it. And now it just comes so easily. It's like, oh, obviously it makes sense. It just like yeah. things are... There's, you're just thinking, TikTok is great for that reason because you're mm-hmm. just, you get to see so many people. Right. And I think that that's what TV can become, right? It can be partially educational and expansive for people who don't live where we live, who don't live in very open, queer-friendly places. It can be like an educational, expansive experience for them. And it can also be reflective to the people in those communities of the various types of queerness and what that looks like and the specific dynamics. I think regardless, 9.1 is too low. And I think specifically, what I also want to point out is that this um, study doesn't take into account the screen time of these characters. Because we don't know that if they're yeah. played for comedy, if they're doing hurtful stereotypes, like that doesn't, it doesn't take that into effect either. So we don't really get a sense of how much storytelling is focused on LGBTQ stories, just that the characters exist. So that's important, too, I think, is to start centering these stories more more, instead of checking a box. And, like, obviously, you know, we're not naive. We know it's gotten better and better. And there are so many amazing shows uh, that center on queerness and queer stories. But I think what this study reminds us is that we still have a long way to go. uh, And hot take, uh, representation matters. Not enough people are saying it. Yeah, you heard it here. (laughs) You heard it here, 900th. You know, part of the reason I wanted to do this episode is like in in doing this show and looking at relationships on TV, we haven't covered as many queer couples. And that's partially on me and something I take responsibility for. But it's also because so often they're not the central focus of the show. They're instead they're a side romance instead of getting the attention and the scream time and like the juiciness and the monologues and the big moments that straight couples tend to get as the central TV romance. I think you're onto yeah. something on that because 
I feel like the characters up until pretty recently, they weren't really fleshed out characters. So if they were in a relationship, right. it came really easy to them or it was right. like very stereotypical relationship. So it wasn't even like worth discussing. Yeah, and there aren't that many show, long running shows like Grey's Anatomy where the central main couple or a main couple lasts because right. like on because it's like you have looking all of those people are gay but that show only lasted two seasons exactly we just have a lot of shows that are only lasting a little bit we have like very rarely do we have those long shows which you've only been doing your podcast for a year now mm-hmm. right yeah so i mean you have like really hit some really good boxes uh, of going back to shows that are completely done, to shows that I've just finished, to shows mm-hmm. currently. So you're going to get down the list, and eventually you'll find the ones that are like, oh, this only lasted two seasons, but it's worth talking about. Yeah, yeah. Doing, and that's doing what Ellen I like. show. or Right, right. And that was what was nice about today's episode and talking to people about some of these couples is I heard about shows I hadn't thought about in a queer framework, and I thought about I heard about shows that I had never watched. So that's what's kind of been nice about doing this episode I've learned from it and I think to your point about like doing this show for a year now I think um what I've learned doing this and what I I hope you know dear listeners have learned is that because of the vastness of straight relationships on tv straight people have the benefit to very easily be be able to find a specific love story a specific relationship that they relate to it's this specific lesson that they're learning in their relationship, a specific moment that they feel like they've lived or a line that rings true or a monologue that speaks to them. And like, that's the whole point of the podcast is to highlight these moments where we felt catharsis because we saw ourselves on screen. We saw our situations and our situationships on screen and we're able to frame it and we're able to talk about it and learn from it because it's happening to these fictional people and somehow that's easier to talk about than when it's happening to us. That And that's not to say that queer people can't relate to straight romances. They absolutely can relate to these moments and I'm sure many do, but I would imagine that queer watchers are missing the specificity of the relationship and the romantic moments that come up in the lived experience of being a queer person because there just aren't enough stories about them on TV. And often I think the stories being told about them are lack the specificity and are general because the right people aren't in the room. And obviously that's gotten better over the years, but I think I, I feel like as a cis het girl i get the catharsis of seeing this very specific you know moment between nick and jess on new girl that i relate to in a particular way because i've lived through it and also the show is taking into account heteronormative gender norms that also influenced my experience of it so even if you know someone else has been through that moment they might not relate to it as emotionally as i had the privilege of doing so and like I think about how I burst into tears because I identify with like a very specific Lorelai Gilmore monologue where she's like, sometimes I just wish I had a partner. And I'm sure many, many people relate to that. But I think if that character were queer, she'd probably have more specific thoughts layered into that piece of writing that would learn a, that would mean a lot more and to be more specific and thus more cathartic to a queer audience member. So Yes, I think some like love stories are beautiful and universal. And, you know, personally, I think of all the relationships I've talked about on this podcast, like the David Patrick one we talked about, that was probably like the healthiest one we've covered. Um, But I think I just think we need to see more specificity. 
And thus we need more. I think that's that's the way to do it is obviously having the right people in the room, but also just just more of it. Well, and then a lot of it reflects the things that are written on television and shown on television are reflecting what's happening in our lives. Yeah, those tropes of falling in love with your roommate or your best friend, those exist across the board just right. re- regard, like, regardless of your gender or sexuality. That's things that we can all relate to mm-hmm. in some shape or form. The missing layer is society's impact on it. Like falling right. in love with your roommate who's not out. Right. Or you're dealing with back in the day, like HIV, AIDS being mm-hmm. untreatable. And now we're at a place where we're trying to break the stigma of being with someone who has HIV positive. Mm-hmm. So the thing mm-hmm. the those elements are just different. If right. it was a queer thing. So if like you were saying, like Lorelai was a queer person and she had this monologue where she, she just wants someone to, what was the thing you said? She's like, I just want someone to, I, sometimes I wish I had a partner, someone to meet the sink guy. That's hot. I get it. Uh, mm. Totally relate. See? But it would be <laughs> very different. I, I feel the television is definitely changing and there is the work that needs to be done. And a lot of that comes from hiring the right people to produce the shows, to write the shows, to direct the shows, be in the shows, so that the story isn't a happy couple or a we're not going to talk about the heavy stuff or any of that stuff, you know? Yeah, I think we're definitely, like, it would be, you know, incredibly ignorant for us to pretend like we haven't made leaps and bounds. Right. But I hope in the way that I've gotten to, you know, be a nerdy TV fan and, like, deep dive and, like, find myself and feel represented by all these, you know, all the ways that trash men have treated me <laughs> in in all of these TV shows and in these, you know, beautiful romantic moments that I've had. I guess my hope for the future is that we bring enough writers, creators, producers, directors, and actors into the room that can portray the lived experience of romance in such a specific way that queer people around the world see themselves in it as specifically as I have gotten the privilege of seeing myself in all of these characters. And I hope it becomes easier and easier for people to be able to find themselves and their relationships and specific relationship moments on streaming cable and broadcast. Right. And a plethora of representation so that it's not just you have one to resort to. Right, right. Um, Megan, go so, off and give do some interviews. Yeah, should we, JP? Should we talk to some folks about uh, about the representation that did work for them? Because some of it does work. I love picking people's brains on what they think they're being represented in in television. Yeah, I love when people are like, "Oh, I, I loved this one TV show because she's crazy, and I feel crazy." WandaVision. That was WandaVision. Yeah, just WandaVision. Just That's WandaVision. all we see ourselves represented in. And there's some that I was like very surprised by that people felt represented by. And I also think it's interesting living in a time when we were younger was when a lot of the representation of queerness was on TV that we now identify as like somewhat problematic. Right. Or you know, but it was still there. It was and it still had an impact on people. Uh, so, so some of what people are going to talk about are great and healthy couples, and some of them are not. So we're going to get into it right now. So Becca, uh, tell us a little about yourself, who you are, where you're coming to us from. 
Um, well, my name's Becca. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am in Brooklyn. Yeah, Becca, tell us about your love life right now. Are you single? Are you dating? Oh, I'm single. You know, <laughs> wonderful pandemic single. So Becca, who are we talking about today? I posed the question of, is there a queer character or a relationship on TV that impacted you at all? And who did you want to talk about? Well, the initial response I had and thought of immediately was Kat and Adina from The Bull Type, one of the guilty pleasure shows. Actually, there's no guilt. It's just pleasure. I've dropped my guilt for it. I think originally I had some guilt and then I was like, no, that's society telling me I should have guilt about it. And actually, this show is very good. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And just anything you enjoy should be guilt free. Exactly. So what was it about Kat and Adina that uh, affected you or impacted you? So it was happening at the same time for me um, when I was watching it. Um, I had met a woman who all of a sudden my own kind of sexuality shifted for me. And it felt very personal to her and it eventually grew into others. But it was watching that unfold at the same time for me personally was just very validating. And I appreciated that it wasn't really questions. It wasn't, it was just like that moment in the show, it was just her running, kissing Dina and then telling her friends, I kissed a girl and I liked it. And Mm -hmm. that was it. Like no questions asked further. And I thought that that was very organic to myself. And that's how I view my own sexuality and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I think for people who, I mean, if you haven't watched The Bold Type, what are you doing? But for people who uh, haven't watched, for context, Kat is somebody who has only dated men up until I think we're I think they're supposed to be in their mid 20s during the first couple seasons of the show which still I'm like how do you have this job at 25? Well that's the thing like all of the <laughs> the career stuff all of it oh god no. Yeah but... that's the only part that's very unrealistic to me but then Kat meets Adina and Adina's kind of the person that like I like what you've said about like that turns her head and kind of like opens her up to this experience. Yeah exactly. And actually, as we're talking about this, I don't know why this wasn't my initial response, but I'm thinking of Abby from Broad City in season Mm -hmm. five. And I'm obsessed with Abby and Alana. I joke. So that relationship was the same thing. And for context for other people, Abby always dated men. Alana was more like fluid. They never really talked about it. There was just montages of her hooking up with men and women. But when Abby started just dating, this woman, Alana goes, she's wearing a hat in, as they're walking and Alana asks her about the hat and she goes, oh, I forget who Clea Duvall's character's name was, but it was Clea Duvall. And she goes, oh, she gave it to you. So are you a hat person now? I never thought of you as a hat person, but you right. Um, right. So it's a similar thing. Like it just happened and, and it went with that. And then for me and similar to Adina opened up the larger dating pool Mm -hmm. once that shift happened yeah I guess with both Abby and Kat there are these conversations of like what does this mean now 
But I actually wonder if like going forward, even that thought might eventually become antiquated of like, oh, you're dating this woman. Does this mean this label applies to you now? And I think more and more people I know who have started dating people of the same sex or dating people who are non-binary or trans like later in their lives, like don't necessarily feel the need to identify as like any such label. Um, Absolutely. Did did you feel like, because I know Kat does have some plot lines where she's like, she's trying to figure out where she, where she quote fits in the lesbian community Did you feel like, did you relate to any of that plot of figuring out, kind of navigating this new world? Within, I think, the queer community, I think there's a lot more just openness within that. I think it's more straight people who are like, oh, right. so does that mean you're bi? And I'm like, if that's the label that helps you, then that's whatever. For me personally... I joke that like I my personal choice of the letters would probably be like F for fluid because mm-hmm. like that's how I felt like my sexuality it just like shifted there was never any moments of repressed like sexuality I never right. once felt like I was denying a part of myself it really just like this one woman kind of shifted for me mm-hmm. and then again I was just interested in men and then I met somebody else then I went into a long-term relationship with a woman and it was great and then now you know I still I don't know what Mm -hmm. I would say now but um yeah I I, to go back to your original question yes I think that is more antiquated and I'm hoping people just like be okay with the fluidity of identity Mm -hmm. and sexuality and that it can shift and move throughout and we don't have to have so many follow-up questions right So what is your hope for, I guess, the future of queer representation on television? What do you feel like we need to see more of? So I would like to see more openness and just a moment where maybe somebody later in life, like, I mean, at the ripe old age of 30 for me later in life, really (laughs) embracing it, but it doesn't have to always be so complicated and just to people meeting and just seeing, letting that happen. Um, I used Mm -hmm. to always say prior to a few years ago with that woman, and what I said to her when it was first starting to happen, and I didn't quite know, I always said I was interested in men, but if a woman came in, I wouldn't question it. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I would love Mm -hmm. to see that too. Um, play out and true either pansexuality bisexuality whatever where they might date both genders trans non-binary all and nobody really that's not the conflict right the conf- that's not the like plot it, yeah exactly and that's what I think I appreciated going back to the bull type was it was like okay she had that moment of I'm going to explore this mm-hmm questioning like you said there was follow-up episodes of her trying to fit in Mm -hmm. to the queer community and then again the first woman after Adina being kind of scared because I think that is kind of scary like to explore that just physically with somebody else um Mm -hmm. and just yeah seeing it and not having it it's just like for her and her friends it was never brought up again the sexuality maybe a joke here or there right right 
but not a big like let's sit down and like talk about your identity right right and not like oh I, I there's something I need to tell like this bubbling up over my friends and that is an important part of I think mm-hmm. coming out for a lot of people and the shame and and other people's um families may not accept them but I think it'd be so great to see more normalizing of just having the conversation on both sides for both mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Not every queer story has to be the major coming out or for mostly gay mm-hmm. men right now. It's still mm-hmm. HIV. It's like we need mm-hmm. to move past these conversations. Like you can have a couple jokes with two women about like you hauling and whatever. That's fine. But let's move on to more right. interesting jokes and conversations yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense to me all right well thanks so much for hopping on I appreciate it of course absolutely thank you for having me so let's start the conversation tell us a little about yourself Josh not to give away your name but hi Josh (laughs) you've ruined the whole surprise Uh, (laughs) my name is Josh Briggs I'm from Los Angeles California Uh, I am a gay man. My pronouns are he, him, his. Let's see what else. I'm single. Mm -hmm. So my DMs are open to be slid into. (laughs) Great, great, great. Yes. That's actually the secondary objective of this episode (laughs) to get all my friends and listeners laid. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I love it. You know, Josh, who are we talking about today? Um, So I've decided to talk. I really thought about this for a while. I'm not mm. going to lie. You said not to prepare too much, but I am a Virgo. <laughs> so I like had to like think about who I really want to talk to. And I've decided to talk about the new normal, which was a short lived TV show on NBC, um, which is like my niche. Cause like apparently shows that run two seasons on NBC are always my favorite. Uh, R.E.P. Smash. Um, R.E.P. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. NBC Heartbreakers, but mm-hmm. it's uh, David and Brian played respectively by Justin Bertha and Andrew Rannells. Oh, yes. This show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like about them having a baby, but they have a surrogate. And so this yeah. was like a 2000, this was like a 2012, 2013 joint. Yes. So this for you wasn't probably, I'm assuming the first queer representation you saw on TV, but no. the most impactful for you. Yes. Okay. All right. So tell us why. So obviously, like, I was in high school when the Glee phenomenon was happening, and everyone was like, you're Kurt Hummel, because I was, like, in drama and choir and stuff, and I hated Kurt Hummel, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I personally was like, no, I'm Rachel Berry, (laughs) get it? Get it right. (laughs) I am main character, I give main character energy. Yeah, I'm like... I'm like, Kurt Hummel's a wet towel. Like mm-hmm. I would, I would be the person that would make him cry. Right. Not like, no, it was not the other way around. So for me, I think the the big thing was like, so I, I have like a very non-eventful coming out story. Basically mm-hmm. I like at 14 years old was like, oh, by the way, everyone, I, I like guys. Um, mm-hmm. And like, that was kind of it. Like there was no drama. There was no like deep conflict. And like mm-hmm. the older I get, the more I'm like, my God, like I'm, incredibly blessed and very lucky to be like just born right place right time and I didn't have like outside pressures Mm -hmm. so on the flip side of that though like one of my biggest frustrations with queer representation in television is that it it typically always revolves around coming out yeah um which is like understandable because like you need conflict in television shows and like it's an easy conflict to have but it's like definitely something that I was like well I don't like really relate to that Mm -hmm. 
So that's why I picked the new normal because I'm like, it is not a single aspect of it was ever about coming out. It's like two grown gay men who just want to have a baby. Yeah. And like living their lives. But I just found it to be very refreshing to like have a show that was just about two gay men and like married gay men who are in love. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah, the big one for me. That's really cool because I, I even now thinking about the married gay couples that we have on TV, we really don't have a whole lot. And I'm thinking about that timeline of like 2012, 2013, I would say at the time, probably the other like network married couple that we had on TV are Mitch and Cam from Modern Family. And so my other point to that is like, because I just realized, yeah, they were also, but like, I always felt that they were kind of, kind of caricature-y, especially in the early seasons too. Mm-hmm. Like we, we had obviously development and I just, and that was the other thing is they really kind of shied away from that. I mean, truly to have a, a network show that centered solely like the two top build people were the gay couple that right. were married and it was just solely about them. Right. We haven't, I don't think we've had like a show not on network television. I feel mm-hmm. like that necessarily focuses explicitly on queer people uh, like that. I mean, there are like queer centered, like we have Pose, obviously. Right. Uh, but I'm thinking like NBC, Fox, ABC kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where, I mean, to bring it back to main character energy, I think like, the difference is Mitch and Cam were, especially at the time, I want to say Modern Family, it's like 2009, it came out around that time. It, it was very, oh, we're checking our boxes of representation. Look at this quote, fun gay couple that we have. And I think that's why it, it's so caricature and they're the side couple you know what I mean like they're they're yeah. not the central couple and so they did this unfortunate thing where because they had to check this box they do they become less human and because the show in the early seasons as you were saying like doesn't really focus on their storyline ironically to compare it until they get Lily I would say you know they're not focusing on it and and it becomes general whereas I think with this show yeah to make these two people the main characters you have to make them human yeah, totally. And I think I I compare it to a more modern show, which again, not network, but like, I think that was why David and Patrick were refreshing for so many people, because again, we weren't focusing on their, the trauma of coming out. Like, it, I almost found it like surprising when we did kind of have a coming out. Yeah, story, I was so. like, but we did have a mini storyline yeah. for like a couple episodes about that. Okay. That is my one critique of Schitt's Creek. Well, my main critique of Schitt's Creek. I mean, don't get me wrong. I adore it. I mean, mm-hmm. the other problem is that it is like just very white. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically any, like the two biggest critiques that I typically have of queer representation in television these days is one is that we still focus a lot on coming out. Mm-hmm. And two is that uh, straight people play gay characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I guess Schitt's Creek is guilty of that. It was just, I think one of the really things was just nice to see like a storyline where I'm like, oh my God, thank God we're just not focusing on the trauma aspect of gay life. Like we're focusing on something that, you know, is helpful and exciting. Mm -hmm. And then I think on top of that was like, I loved how three-dimensional they were as characters. Mm -hmm. Justin Bertha's character, he is very nerdy. Like he's Mm -hmm. not like like a super outspoken because I think you know typically up until that point most gays were on television were you know like Kurt Hummel types or like right or like um, on girls 
Jack oh, from Jack. Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's kind of the idea that people had. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of have this, you know, like nerdy, mild mannered kind of dorky character mm-hmm. was like really nice. But then you also have, you know, Andrew Randall's character who is yeah. probably more what you consider like a stereotypical like he cares about fashion. He's very into culture. Like, mm-hmm. like I love one of my favorite scenes is like they do a flashback to their first date. Mm-hmm. They meet because Justin walks up to Andrew. I mean, totally doing these names wrong. David walks up to um, Brian. Wow, Brian and <laughs> Brian's like, well, I was supposed to meet Lance Bass here, but he's there <laughs> <on me." laughs> it's stuff like that where I, there's definitely like nods to queer culture, but it's mm-hmm. not so steep in it. I mean, there's a whole episode about, so the surrogate has a daughter in the show. Oh my God. What's her name? She's on love Victor now. Oh, BB Wood. Oh, cute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's on the real Neils and love Victor now, mm-hmm. but um, she played the daughter and there's this whole gray gardens episode that they do which I'm like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. The so, what I want, right. like, she, like fully pretends to be like little Edie for like a whole episode. Yeah. Well, cause that's the interesting thing. I think with a lot of, even to this day, I think the shows that we see representing queer culture, the best still really are not the network television shows. The network television yeah. shows, I feel like tend to stay pretty like middle America quote palatable. So it even and I think even you know in 2021 I I still feel that way. So it's nice to kind of see those nods and be like, well, they they must have had some uh, some queer writers in the room to be able to make a Grey Gardens uh, yeah. nod, you know. So I think that leads nicely of kind of like, what are your hopes for the future of queer representation on television? Like, what do you want? you know, the 14 year olds who are watching TV today and figuring out, you know, where they fall on the gender and sexuality spectrum. What do you hope that they get to see? I I mean, I think number one is that queer people need to play queer people on television. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's like a twofold, like problematic aspect to that is like, number one is, uh, like it is really honestly disappointing as a queer person to see a queer character on television and then find out that they're not queer in real life. Because I, there's just things that people just fundamentally do not understand about right. being queer when you mm-hmm. don't have those experiences. There's a fundamental difference walking through life as a queer person than being like straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the second aspect of that is there's still a large percentage of the population who believes that like, does not fully understand like that being queer or trans or non-binary is not like a choice. It is just who they are. And mm. so there's also this element I feel like of, oh, like people can play it on television, uh-huh. like they can act it. And I don't think like, it's like something that people think about actively, but I do think that it plays into this kind of idea that it is a, like a caricature. It's right. not a real person who has these lived experiences. Right. Especially when we see examples of this, like, um, James Corden in uh, prom. I can't even, I can't even, don't even, Mm -hmm. that's a rabbit hole that I cannot go down. (laughs) For a different different episode. Golden Globe nominated. (laughs) Wild. It's just queer people need to play queer people on television, like Mm -hmm. plain and simple. And then I think also it's just, it's telling, you know, the stories that we don't hear as much. Pose is like, I think, probably the best queer television we've ever had, period, point blank. Mm -hmm. Like, it's telling a story that a lot of people don't know. Everyone on that show is basically trans or queer or, Mm -hmm. you know, gay. Uh, And they're all people of color, too, which Mm -hmm. is, like, especially, like, trans women of color are, like, incredibly 
uh, marginalized still. Mm-hmm. And I think like truly putting those people on television will move the needle in the correct direction because like, you know, relatability. I mean, like I yeah. think about Jack for Will and Grace did a lot for, you know, white gay mm-hmm. men. Just having those characters like on a huge like national media level would help a lot. Yeah. And I think like the hardest part, honestly, though, is like that that isn't going to start necessarily with like, I mean, it has to start with representation on television, but like you need the writers and directors behind yeah. it. Like that's the, really the biggest part. You could cast somebody, but if you have a writer's room that's just all white cis people, like they're mm-hmm. not going to write something that is, you know, legitimate. Mm-hmm. Or honestly, frankly, it usually ends up being problematic. Right. <laughs> I think that's really where we need to go. It's just, is just continuing to tell, you know, not the obvious stories. I'm a white gay man. I don't need another TV show about white gay men, you know? Check the box. Yeah. I just, can we not do any more coming out stories? (laughs) Right. Like if you want them, we could give you a whole list of of every way that that looks. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need another coming out story. And I also really don't need another story about AIDS. I think when you make all the stories about trauma, you're not celebrating like the joy yeah, of, I mean, truly. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like I think that's yeah, that's actually like a like exactly my thoughts. It's like it is. It's just always about the trauma, mm-hmm. and that's why I did pick the new normal because I'm like, there's no trauma. It's a comedy series. Yeah. Like we're, we're celebrating people for who they are and like wanting to be in love and have a kid. You know? Yeah. Because like I don't think every trans person's life is like you know depressing in some cases because like based off television like they always depict it as like a this is so hard right or needs to be i don't think trans stories need to be exploited for storytelling and yeah 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 yeah. less trauma more joy please yes things to go (laughs) i love that okay awesome well josh thank you for coming on and chatting with me today thank you for having me so Lindsay, go ahead and introduce yourself who am i sitting with Oh yeah. Hi, I am Lindsay Balaga. We are talking about Lily from Lily and Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. So um, you're going to have to expand on this a bit from the top because yeah, I think on Pawn First Impressions, How I Met Your Mother actually comes off as one of the straightest shows on TV. (laughs) Yes, I think think they like to play around with their sexuality while staying very in the lines of the compulsory heterosexuality well we see I was really surprised when you sent in this answer to me because I'd kind of forgotten what in the plot line was anywhere near the world of queerness because Mm -hmm. again I think it's such a straight heteronormative show but then I kind I remembered that there would be all of these jokes about Lily specifically wanting to make out with Robin and there was this recurring joke of like oh what if Robin and I just kissed just kidding just kidding it's stupid it's stupid and to me and I don't know if it's the time and or the writers or the network or a deadly combination of all of them but to me what that kind of feels like is by erasure as being like absolutely absolutely lily probably was bisexual lily absolutely was bisexual and instead of straight women don't talk about kissing their friends this much they don't kiss their friends this much it's it does not happen no and it's like if that show was made i don't know i would like to give that everyone the benefit of the doubt and saying if that show was made today lily would just be an out 
by woman, but instead what we see is this horrible trope of bi-ness as a either just it being ignored is like we're just going to ignore this thing about Lily or it being played off as a joke for male audiences which is what we saw again and again so I'd love to hear your takes on like did you identify with her were you like oh I also sometimes feel this way yeah tell me about it I think in some ways it was really easy to identify with her partly because of the massive crush on Jason Siegel specifically for sure and like just like being raised in like you know the society we do where I'm like oh well I'm gonna grow up and marry a nice white man like Jason Siegel mm-hmm. and I could still want to kiss other women I was like well those things could track like that checked mm-hmm. out for me mm-hmm. and again at the time I did not know I was bi I didn't quite know what bisexuality was and I think I when I thought about bisexuality I always thought it was very 50 50 and I'm like well I mean, you would say sexuality is fluid and then you'd be like, but bi is half and half, right? And eventually, you know, there's flexibility even within the term. When you saw Lily, was it like, oh, here I am. Here's the representation of me, of someone who probably at this point mostly dates men, but wants to make out with women. Was it like positive representation or do you feel like you felt at all the effects of the bi erasure of it, of so, like, oh, but that would just be a joke. That would, that's, th- those are feelings to yeah, shove down absolutely. the way that Lily shoves them down. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's this really interesting combination because I was so confident that I was straight at this point mm-hmm. that relating to it is still a, because of the bi erasure, I was still a, like able to not live my truth yet because I wasn't ready or whatever. So I was like, this is fine. This is normal. Eventually looking back now and rewatching shows as I've come out, I'm like, oh, why, why did you like certain characters and want to watch certain scenes of, you know, certain women so much? Why was that a slightly sexy plot line captivating your attention as much as it did? So it's this interesting thing of, you know, like I was whatever age and not mentally in a place to be like oh I can't deal with my sexuality right now like mm. and not that it was this huge pressing issue but it was in a way the bi erasure made it easier it was like the stepping stone of like yeah. ha 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 it's okay to joke about flirting with women kissing a woman whatever you know all the jokes all the threesome jokes whatever it right. is because it's for a man's benefit then it's sort of like it's this neutral way of being like I don't have to deal with any of the consequences of admitting any desires. But did it ever feel like this is okay as long as this is a joke? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was not. No. Is she a great role model for like, when I grow up, I want to be like this. Yeah. No. No. Is she the like bi role model you wanted? No, no. it's interesting. It's interesting that even though she is not all, I think, characters on TV and in TV romance teach us things because they're positive role models. You know, we see a lot of people we learn from because we learn from their mistakes. And I think, but still in this, I wouldn't even blame it on the fictional person of Lily Aldrin, but I'd blame it on in the producers and writers of How I Met Your Mother making this huge mistake in the way that they handled this is very like insensitive mistake you still ended up feeling probably the way that lily realistically would have been made to feel which is like these things are okay as long as it's a joke and these feelings right, are absolutely. not something to 
I mean, I just, I know a lot of those plots and characters around that time that it was like, you, there's always the joke of like, it's just a phase and it's Uh in college and therefore it's okay. And it's this free for all permission. It's like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of thing. And it's like, okay, I appreciate the permission to live my truth. Don't Mm -hmm. love the, but it has to be a secret, but it has to end blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like the, oh, I experimented in college joke of it all. I, so I think that my confusing takeaway is that I like the permission mm. that that gives that it's like to someone newly figuring out their sexuality to be mm-hmm. like, yes, I like kissing women but, or want to or whatever. And at, without being like, like day one of questioning your sexuality and not yeah. having to be like, oh, I know I'm not straight. Therefore, I know what I am. You know what right. I mean? Right. Right. Just knowing that it's somewhere probably on the queer spectrum. Right. But are they like a happy, is she, you know, maybe the best example of like a happy, healthy, well-rounded queer person who's happy with her identity? Probably not. No, probably not. not at all. But there are plenty of women out there like her. Um, but Lindsay, before I let you go, I wanted to kind of get your take on, um, what is your hope for queer representation on TV in the future? I think I just want more representation in general, because I think starting once we kind of began getting more representation, well, first the, there was the tropes of if you're a lesbian or tends to be by a character as well, it's um, very toxic relationships mm-hmm. or they immediately get killed off, which is always fun. Right. Right. Or and then or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I like the ability to be messy and imperfect without it being one story arc, especially as a queer person, you're never not coming out. Right. Right. It's not a one event sort of. And deal. It, like I have on my dating apps that I am, or I guess some of them that I'm bi slash queer. And yet I'm still like messaging people. And I'm like, wait, you did read that part, right? You still good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that it's that I'm necessarily super concerned that they're going to say anything atrocious or whatever, but it's like this still, still this moment of coming out, even if it is super casual and just like, mm-hmm. I'm happy enough with who I am, whatever. I mean, in general, I think I want the everyday unexcitement, mm-hmm. if that's a word, yeah. of um, being a queer person, of like, I don't know, just like side glances at someone on a street and you're like, oh, I think they're gay. Cool. And just like smile. And that's it. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to be life and death. Oh my God. Are they bi? Are they slutty then? Or are they this? Mm-hmm. Or are they that? It can be yeah. like, I'm a person and this is my boring life at Whole Foods. I wonder, no, let's be real Trader Joe's. I wonder how many <laughs> gay people are there. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I like, I like the boring because the boring makes it feel like this is normal and this is accepted, not oh my God, you're so special in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and the boring makes it feel like, oh, this is me. Exactly, exactly. So so I wanted to come up with one that was sort of, isn't the first one you think of? Mm -hmm. Like Lily is not like, because she's so not perfect and because she never says she's bi and she never dates a woman. Like it's so subtle, which I also love because like you can be bi and never date a woman. Right. Never do anything. You can marry a man and still be bi. Mm -hmm. And I find that really interesting because I've been caught up in that of like, I'm like, it's pride. I should date more women or more non-binary, et cetera, et cetera. Less straight cis men to Mm -hmm. shorten it. And I'm like, wait, 
I'm doing bio erasure on myself. Right. I'm like, I'm still valid. It's like, if she had, if we could twist it in a way and be like, she is bi and like com- confirm that super like enthusiastically, right. then it's like, yes, I'm so happy she's bi and still valid while presenting as straight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I hope that if the show was rewritten today, that's the version we would get. And you know what? Maybe in that Hillary Duff spinoff we're about to get, How I Met Your Father, maybe that's what we'll get. All right, Lindsay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Yeah. All right. Okay. I am sitting down with Kobe. Kobe, tell us a little about yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Kobe Getzug. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm joining you from Los Angeles, California, where I'm from. Newly single. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, felt, drop um, that in there. You know, who, for, for, for our market. listeners on the market. And uh, 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 Megan Fitzgerald, Superman, as well. Well, well yeah. And, and it's mutual. So, um, highly <laughs> can't recommend, can't recommend Kobe enough. Um, <laughs> Thank you. There's Thank the you. ad for this episode. I have no sponsorship this episode, but I can't recommend Kobe enough. She's looking for an apartment <laughs> for me and a husband for me. And, yes. you know, who else? Maybe a dog at some point. Who knows? Yeah, full service. Full service, full service. with the pod. Um, Kobe, who are we talking about today? Um, well, you know, I, I thought a lot about this because there are so many great couples to choose from. And ultimately, I decided on sort of an unconventional couple. But I really wanted to talk about um, the relationship between Will and Jack on Will and Grace. That's a couple that's really stuck with me since I uh, initially watched that watched that show. So. Mm-hmm. so give us, for those who have not watched or haven't watched in a while, give us a bit of backstory because Will and Jack are best friends, but they never actually officially decide to become a couple. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, so Will and Grace is one of my all-time favorite shows. I think it's like the best sitcom ever created. Um, I watched it initially. I think I caught it in its later seasons as it was airing. Um, but I feel like I was around 11 or 12 when I started watching it. And then I did a rewatch a couple of years ago as an adult, which really hit different. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so so Will and Jack are best friends. They've never dated. And they sort of have this like fun, kind of peasy, sassy, like older brother, younger brother relationship. And they really are each other's rocks throughout uh, throughout the series, and um, they're sort of opposite. Like Will is very buttoned up and uptight, and sort of a more like st- I would consider him like more more of a straight passing gay gay man. And and Jack is like flamboyant, an artist, really out there. Just Jack, you know, like he is he is full of spark and life. And and so a lot of the comedy on the show between them comes between like comes with playing between that dynamic. Yeah, and I, I think that the thing that drew me most to that relationship as a young gay man, I didn't come out until I was uh, like 18. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I wasn't out when I first watched the show, Watched the show, but I knew I was different. And I remember seeing the relationship between, the friendship between um, Will and Jack and thinking, oh, wow, like it's possible for me as a, as a young, I didn't know at the time really how to, how to verbalize it, but like as a young gay man to have uh friendships with other men mm-hmm. and that was something that was really i think important for me because uh i think in elementary school i had a bunch of of male friends but once i hit middle school and high school i just felt like i couldn't really relate and i, I mm-hmm. you know people a lot of you know queer people go through different trauma growing up obviously and right. i feel like i just 
I was a little bit scared of of straight men or any man. I mean, friendships with any men, particularly straight men. But I, you know, I just felt like I couldn't relate, and I didn't know if it was going to be possible for me to have friendships with men. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing that relationship on TV and being really inspired by the fact that these were two adult men and they were both gay and they had a healthy friendship with each other that wasn't based on. I mean, it was based on being gay, but it wasn't like the common bond right. was that they were both queer, but mm-hmm. they had so much love for each other uh, as and the friendship had so much love in it that I was really that I was really, um, yeah, it really stuck with me. Like, wow, it, it's going to be possible for me to be friends with men in the future and like have healthy relationships right. that aren't based around sex or being gay or whatever, you know, and I feel like now I have so many loving, healthy male friendships with with queer men and with straight men and I attribute a lot of that to seeing that relationship on TV yeah that's so beautifully said I didn't know how to have friendships with other gay men that weren't Mm -hmm. based on either sex or like I don't know I just like I had a hard time relating to other gay people it's this weird Mm -hmm. thing where it's like when you grow up in my experience like when you grow up queer you sort of have a hard time relating to everybody. Like you have a hard time relating to mm-hmm. straight people because your experience is so vastly different from theirs. Mm-hmm. And then you also have a hard time sometimes relating to other queer people because everyone's, you're dealing with so much like fear and like mm-hmm. trauma that you have a hard time relating to other queer people too. And so I think it took me a while. I, I had to like figure out who I was before I could start yeah. really developing adult friendships with people. But um, yeah, I, I think like the more... As I've gotten older, I've been able to, to cultivate a really beautiful, a really beautiful community of friends that is all across the spectrum of sexuality. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I would say like a lot of my closest guy friends are straight, and I also have a mm-hmm. lot of close guy friends that are queer. And I, I don't think that that would have been possible had I not had examples in media, honestly, like yeah. like Jack and Will and other examples of it's oh it like yes you're different and yes your life might look different and your relationships might look different, but Ultimately, there will be people that will come into your life who who don't see that as the first thing, you know, like right. they see you as the person first. And then, you know, it's like in middle school and high school, all you talk about is sex. Right. Like, like, right, right. I felt like I couldn't relate to people because I, people were just like, girls, this girls. That. And I was like, well, I guess like, I don't really know. And then, you know, you grow up and it's like, OK, well, we can like I love that Jack and Will never they never hook up like that's never a thing that happens for them. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of do want to talk about that because I thinking of speaking of people like only <laughs> seeing one part of you, I think that especially at the time in 98, and I think still there are a lot of straight people that are like very um, guilty of not understanding queer friendships and not understanding when uh, two people who are queer do hook up and then go into a platonic friendship because you know, there's a million stories about it's hard for men and women to be friends. And mm-hmm. you know, we have a million tropes of like that. And if that really works out. But I think something that is so unique that has been described to me is the friendships in queer communities of like, yes, this person and I because I think at one point there is a plot line about Jack confessing his love for Will, but then they decide to never they decide to never act on it. Or they decide they never go into a relationship but at some point there were feelings on one side or the other but they still maintain this beautiful platonic relationship and I think a lot of times uh straight people who aren't in queer communities aren't around queer communities have trouble understanding that so do you feel do you remember that plot line or do you remember that being handled or use it as any kind of 
framework for that um, kind of relationship? Totally. Actually, I was going to talk about that that episode. Um, it's called Dames at Sea, and it's um, <laughs> I think it's it the is. Yeah, of course it is. And it's the it's the first episode I think of the sixth season, and uh, the episode starts with Will and Jack waking up in bed together naked, mm-hmm. and they're the the episode basically is is like a panic, like they're they're panicked that they hooked up, and they're like super like thrown by it, and the whole episode is trying to like decipher what happened the night before they were drunk. They don't know what happened, and it turns out that they didn't hook up. Jack has this great line. What is the line? It's something like, he says something like, I woke up and saw the olive skin and the olive skin and I and the hairy legs and I was praying that it was a hairy green olive, something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately in the episode, they they end up confessing to each other that they did, they were attracted to each other at one point, but yeah. for whatever reason, it wasn't acted on. And now it just, you know, that was then. And then the reality now is like friendship that's based on, you know, love and 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 trust and whatever and i think that that is i think that that's accurate i mean i definitely have friends who uh i was attracted to at first or or i i'm pretty sure they were attracted to me and for whatever reason it never you know nobody acted on it and now the friendships are are just that they're friendships and i think that Mm -hmm. something that is beautiful about um being queer is that you can sort of define because you have to create everything from scratch you can define Mm -hmm. what you want your relationships to be and I, you know, I've definitely been in friendships where sometimes the line gets blurred, but we're friends first. And I think that that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think everybody's just trying that. to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that was really well said. I mean, how beautiful, it, how beautiful is it to be able to like really create that relationship from scratch and, and, make, and either decide like this is going to be just a strictly platonic friendship or we're going to be like mm-hmm. super close friends and then maybe hook up sometimes when we're feeling it or mm-hmm. maybe we'll date or whatever. Like the, the, there's so many options. And I think that, that that's a really cool, um, cool thing. And I also think that there is like an immediate intimacy that, that um, happens when, when a queer person meets another queer person, like mm-hmm. there's just so much that's understood immediately, even though everybody's experience is different. There's so much that's like the language is the same. Um, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. So it's like anytime, you know, I'm Jewish. Anytime I see another Jew, I'm like, where did you go to synagogue? Like, what was your bar mitzvah theme? Right, right. <laughs> like, I feel like that's, like, those are the immediate questions. And I think for, in my experience, like, um, you know, cis gay men, um, there is a, there is, there can be a common language of, oh, like, you know, you're gay, I'm gay. I already understand things about you, you know? And, that, yeah. and that's like a, an interesting starting point. Trust is a really important part of those relationships. And so I think that mm-hmm. I think that people are more, hopefully, more delicate with those relationships because life is hard and, and queer people go through a lot. And I think that when you mm-hmm. find those relationships, um, when you find those queer friendships in your life, it's, it's really important to maintain them because they're, I think everybody, regardless if they're queer or not, but particularly if you're queer, has gone through a lot of heartbreak in terms of losing people losing friends, mm-hmm. losing family. Um, and I think that it's, I think that opening yourself up to, to people is really hard. And, yeah. and I think that that's why queer friendships are so beautiful because there is a lot of trust and vulnerability involved. I mean, you, 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 re- you like become friends partly because you can relate on trauma. Like that's, that's like a specific <laughs> 
a specific, and even if it's not conscious, like that's, you know, yeah. I think that like attracts mm-hmm. like, you know, like people, people are drawn to other people who, who have been through similar shit. And I think that there's such a beautiful vulnerability baked into those friendships that things can be yeah. talked about more openly, you know, honest, people are more honest. Like, I, I don't know. I just think that the, the queer friendship is a really special relationship. I love that. Um, do you, before we, uh, as we wrap it up, do you have hopes for the future of queer representation on TV? What do you think you would like to see more of for um, the next generation of TV watchers as they, you know, start to find themselves? I mean, if we're, I'll just stay, stick on theme, stay on theme. Like, I, I feel like I would love to see more um, straight and gay characters being friends on, on mm-hmm. TV shows. And like normalizing mm-hmm. that and ha- not having it be about the sexuality, but just about being people yeah. and being friends. And also more queer friendships on TV that aren't necessarily based on the fact that they're both queer. You know, I just think that like normalizing that sort of relationship, normalizing friendships between between people of different sexualities is and different identities is really important because it teaches the younger generation that you don't have to be defined by necessarily defined mm-hmm. by that's why children's television is so important i think you know i would love to see a little gay a little gay boy not afraid to be friends with a little straight boy you know not be afraid that he's going to yeah. get bullied or mm-hmm. not be able to relate like mm-hmm. go up with confidence and say hey like i'm kobe what's your name and and be able to enter a friendship based on mutual interests and you know right. shared humor and whatever and not have it be right. about who you love like that i would love to see that All right, Kobe, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Megan Fitzgerald. It's my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'm sitting down with Avery. Avery, it's so good to see you. Tell us a little about yourself. Um, Yeah, I'm Avery. I'm 29. I'm living in the Netherlands, but I am American. So Avery, um, who are we talking about today? I was deciding between either Swan Queen, which I think was probably my biggest ship and um shoot from persons of persons of interest person of interest okay um probably let's go swan queen i think swan queen so this is once yeah. upon a time on abc yeah. yes okay so swan queen which character this is the swan swan princess and then which queen was it i feel like there's multiple it would be emma and regina yeah emma and regina okay. uh yeah so like the lead and the lead villain <laughs> okay so tell me about this because this was a couple that never got together but this yeah. was a couple that you shipped and we talked we yes. talked a little bit before <laughs> off mic about like about the fan the fan reaction to this ship so tell me what was it like like shipping a couple that never necessarily got together yeah objectively i could see that it would that would have been a very unhealthy relationship however <laughs> um <laughs> It was definitely queer baited. I think they, the mm-hmm. the writers of the show, I know for a fact, knew how big a chunk of their fandom were, were Swan Queen shippers, and they definitely, you know, mm-hmm. like dangled it in front of us all the time, and you know, would put in little things here and there, and then it would just like never follow through. Of course, so that was really frustrating, and I think that that's why at the end like around season five i was like i'm, I'm done <laughs> they'd like build sexual tension into their relationship yeah and the, but never really follow through on it mm. yeah and like would say things you know at comic-con and stuff like that and 
Ugh, yeah. Oh. I, I honestly have kind of like blocked all of it. <laughs> I, and that's, I think <laughs> yeah. actually the fact that that ship didn't go through and there had been so many ships over the years that didn't go through or they did go through and then immediately after someone died. Um, right. That uh, I kind of gave up at, on television actually after that show specifically. I also didn't really know that I was gay. But I think probably um, my body, my heart, my soul knew and knew that mm-hmm. it like it did hurt me that that representation wasn't there. And then so when I did found her, find out, of course, I realized, <laughs> oh, that's why that's why that hurt so bad. Um, yeah. Well, and I'm sure it was frustrating too to have that not go through and have that be a recurring pattern. I feel like that must have you know, created some grooves of thinking around what was okay on a big national yeah. scale. Do you feel like that was some of like the fan? Because we talked, we talked about we were both at Tumblr girls back in the day. So yes. do you feel like that was some of like the fan frustration in them not getting together? It reinforced uh, some heteronormativity. Yeah, but I thought we were so beyond that. Because when I was, mm-hmm. there was actually something that kind of gave me hope as it, like my first, um, interaction with a lesbian couple on television I think was in ER because that was my favorite show as a child ER and um Carrie Mm -hmm. Weaver got with Sandy Lopez on that show and um Mm -hmm. Sandy Lopez died (laughs) um but it was the first time yeah it was the first time that I saw a lesbian couple on television and it was normal and it was whatever and this was like you know the most powerful woman in the hospital and she was in a yeah. lesbian relationship. It, this was early, that was like 2002, 2000, I don't know. So I think, yeah. especially for a network show, it, no, timing wasn't an excuse, I don't think. And it, that could, yeah. yeah, I guess, add yeah. to the frustration. Yeah, and of course, like, this is, you know, something we speak about in this podcast is like the tropes of TV. And I think a huge one mm-hmm. that will come up this episode that was really prevalent in like the 90s, the early 2000s is the barrier gaze trope where networks would once a uh, gay or lesbian couple would get together, almost immediately one of them would die. And we saw this Mm -hmm. in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then we see it in ER. And I think, and, you know, then we do see some networks try to correct it. And actually, ABC, um, we were just speaking about this off mic, in this GLAAD report that came out, ABC now has actually the second best LGBTQ character inclusion of all the network shows. 9.9% of the series regulars um, are queer identifying. But I feel like in 2011, I wonder if this was some sort of this queer baiting and this queer, like, um, including these moments of it, trying to correct the barrier gaze trope, but still not giving us happy, healthy queer couples yeah it was probably that they they wanted to be inclusive but then also didn't want to alienate their hetero cis whatever viewers so they're like okay we're gonna put it in for a second then we're gonna take it out yeah yeah oh that's so So, like be satisfied with that (laughs) that your life will be shown for a second i think you also touched on that uh with the abc that in that um, percentage is on the shoulders of probably about one creator, Shonda Rhimes. Um, yeah. And if she wasn't there, who knows what that number would be. Yeah. And that's kind of to give people a little more perspective. I was actually surprised by this. The CW has the best um, inclusion and it's 14.2 of their series. Regulars are queer identifying. 
Fox is, uh, ABC, as we said, was 9.9, Fox 8.5, NBC 8.3, CBS 2.9. No mm-hmm. surprise there. So you took a little break from TV. Um, yeah. Were there certain like couples or ships or characters that kind of brought you back into it that you're like, oh, okay, this gives me, this gives me hope and comfort for the future? Um, yeah, I don't watch a lot of TV even still, except for Drag Race. And I just, I mean, that's not a scripted show. Mm. It's a competition show. I'm not usually into that, but I love Drag Race. And I know that it's going to be, you know, gay. (laughs) I haven't begun watching it yet, but there is a show that's on here. Now, the Netherlands was actually the first country to legalize gay marriage in the world. I didn't know that until I got here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's a show here now called Anna Plus, and it's literally about like the, the lead characters a lesbian like almost everyone in the show is a lesbian it's just about them like living their lives so it's like literally it it's about lesbian so life nice. and i'm really like looking forward to getting into it i haven't started it yet and it's also available in english in the u.s if people want to watch it okay. um yeah what's it called on the on the uh well to us it would be and plus <laughs> and plus okay okay cool so is that kind of your hope for um queer representation on tv in the future just to have people living their lives i just don't want it to be a spectacle i don't want it to be a big deal like oh like my sister is gay this is her girlfriend they're here for dinner on thanksgiving and everything's fine like it's not like a thing their problems are not because they're gay or because they're trans Mm -hmm. they're just themselves and their problems don't stem from those things love that Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming in um, internationally. Of course, thank you. All right. And last but not least, JP, take us home. Who are we talking about? I actually have no idea who you're about to tell me about. I'm back. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) She thought you could get rid of me just at the beginning, but bookended by me. Um, So we're going to talk about Queer as Folk. The American show, not the British show. It's based on... Uh, a British show that came out a couple years before the American one, which uh, aired originally in 2000, December 3rd, 2000. And, and somehow in this Pride episode, you've made it possible to bring up The Office, a classic British version not taking off as All hard right. as the American version. <laughs> Queer as folk, and I've been talking a lot about this, it's like in the zeitgeist right now, mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of people, because I think there is still talks of it having a reboot and they're not using any of the original cast it's just mm-hmm. going to be in a new city and a new generation and new characters and i think a lot of people are debating whether or not they like that or not so queerest folk came out right at the beginning of just to give you an idea of like where we were at in history mm-hmm. george w bush was elected president Ah, uh, okay yeah so we were dealing with him uh, before that, Clinton had kind of helped out a lot of uh, the stigma and all of the anxiety surrounding the AIDS epidemic. So we were a little bit, we were getting into everyone knowing about it in a healthier, less uh, discriminatory way. Mm-hmm. As prior to that, it was like everyone just thought it was just the gays doing it and getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was like the first show where the main principal cast, almost every single one of them is gay or uh-huh. lesbian. If it was done now, we would like really look at that show and be like, 
the that's where it stopped. It's very whitewashed, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very mask oriented. Mm-hmm. There's I don't I mean there we they teeter into some of the femme gaze, but it's only sort of touched. They're like minor characters. They're not the main characters, and we don't really see them struggling to exist in the gay community. But mm-hmm. for that time, I was so I was eight years old when the mm-hmm. show came out and it wasn't until I was like maybe 12 or 13 when I like first found out about the show. And that was because it was playing on Showtime. And I remember like going through my puberty and I would like, it would air like really late at night and I would set an alarm clock. Oh. I would like go to bed, set an alarm clock and wake up and watch it on Showtime because my parents and everyone would be asleep. So I'd like wake up and like sneak into the living room, sit right in front of the TV and like keep the volume down on like a five so I could like hear it, but I would have to like sit like this. Oh my God, that's so sweet. (laughs) It's so funny looking back on it because it's as if I was sneaking like porn or something in there. I mean, they tackled a lot of things, which was really crazy. They tackled the a man who is married to a woman dating a gay man mm-hmm. on the side and they talk about uh, living with HIV and the struggle of being with that partner who has it. There's um, one of my favorite characters in there is the mom, Debbie. Okay, so Debbie is like, and I, not this is no shade to my mom or anyone's mom, but she is like a gay man's dream of a mom. Like, she runs a very LGBTQ-friendly diner, and Mm -hmm. there's, like, drag queens there, and uh, so it's just, like, a different world that it's set in Philadelphia. There is a gay community that exists there. It's very thriving, especially at that time it was, and it centers around a group of friends, but primarily it centers around a man named Brian, and Brian's, like, opening monologue is I don't believe in love, I believe in fucking. It's honest, it's efficient, (laughs) you can get in and out with a maximum pleasure and the minimum bullshit. Love is something straight people tell themselves that they're in so that they can get laid, and then they end up hurting each other because it's all based in lies. Wow. And I remember as a kid, like, like watching him and being like, okay, first of all, he's really hot, and Mm -hmm. he's, like, not a real, like, no one really walks around like With this that point of view, yeah. I mean, we all c- pretend we do, right? Like, I think we like to say we do. I was gonna say this does, to be honest, feel a little bit like your front, <laughs> right? Of course, of course. Yeah. It's like his, like yeah, that's like what a lot of people act like. But mm-hmm. I mean, he obviously that's where he starts, and then throughout right. the series, he does fall in There's love. There's growth. There's growth, yeah. and he can change <laughs> for the man he loves, and. Yeah. The only problem about the man he falls in love with, which is in the first episode as well, we see we get introduced to him. His name's Justin. He's mm. seventeen. Justin's oh. seventeen. And I'm not sure how old Brian is, but Brian is old. Okay, so anyway. So anyway, uh, so you're watching this. So tell me about you you watching this and your experience of it. I was like twelve, thirteen. I like barely knew anything about anything. I like mm-hmm had a feeling that I was gay. I would, like, pray every night, like, dear God, please do not make me gay. I'll do anything you want. Please, 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 please. 
and it didn't work. And I, I don't want people to think I'm like lightly skipping over that. JP and I are very good friends, <laughs> and so but I I know that I'm just not right. ignoring that for the first time. Yeah, if you believe in God, that was his his him being like, dude. And if you don't believe in God, then you're like, dude, you shouldn't have been brave. Uh, so either way, take it as it is. It was just something that also to me, queer in my mind, I was like, okay, queer. I don't really know what that is, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's what I am because I, I like girls too. And Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. And I'm not like, I didn't know a gay man in real life. And, and so I was like, we're going to just tune into this, but I can't do it in front of my parents because they're absolutely not going to let me do it. Like, I just had no idea about anything. And it was yeah. just my first glimpse into the queer community, especially at that time. Do you think, go? you know, as you got older and you started dating men and you eventually, like, came out and then you saw more representation of queerness right. on television and otherwise, how do you feel like Queer's Folk holds up? I definitely think that Queer's Folk does a great job of hitting some tropes that we see in ev- in everyday queer community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emmett is a character who does essentially OnlyFans, but uh-huh. back in the day. And Emmett is sort of, if we were going to bring it, it's a it's like a drama. The show is a drama on Showtime. Yeah. If it was a comedy, he would have been Jack from Will and Grace. Okay, got it. So that's like this the archetype that he... They probably were in the same audition for Jack and mm-hmm. probably the same audition for Emmett. And I loved that character because he was so cool and I thought he was so funny. And he just, he had like a different job every other episode. He, in my mind, was what I think my parents feared I would ever be. Mm. But there's a character, Michael, who's like nerdy into comic books. His mom's super supportive. Like I remember watching Michael's track and kind of wanting Michael's life. Because Michael ends up, like, yeah. secretly, Michael ends up with the hottest guy on the show. He ends up with, like, a hot gay professor who has HIV. Oh. And, he, and he, like, loves Michael and so much. And he just, like, wants to work it out. I think they're great. So for you, it was kind of like, oh, this thing that I understood. Because you, ne- not knowing any gay men. Right. You, for you, it was kind of like, oh, this thing that I understood as gay doesn't have to look just this one way. Like, I can be a gay man and exist and be this whole other type of person. Like, I might be gay. Like, I I remember liking Emmett, but not relating to Emmett in the way that I was like, oh, I want to have sex with people. Mm -hmm. Michael was kind of like the guy who was like, I don't really want to have sex. I just like a guy. And Mm -hmm. that was sort of like, I was like, ooh, that might be my track. Yeah. Uh, even at a young age, I was like, that might be yeah, it. I like definitely, I just learned a lot about mm-hmm. the, how you could be happy yeah. as, a, as a gay person. Because my mom, when I came out, she was just like so afraid that I wouldn't be happy. And in my mind, I was like, that's so weird because I just came out. Like, don't you think now I'm going to be happy? <laughs> I'm going to be happier? Yeah. And do you feel like the show did the thing of um, highlighting the, quote, trauma of coming out and how it's so hard to be queer? Or do you think the show did a good job at capturing the joy? So Emmett ends up dating a, like, football player who is closeted because of his life 
and his job, and he's engaged to a woman, and they have this on-again, off-again relationship that in the end of the series, big spoiler alert, alert he comes out, this football player comes mm, out okay. as gay, and he chooses not to be with Emmett because he needs to learn how to live a life as an open gay man. And that I remember being, you know, that that we are water signs. We want them to yep. just be together. Oh, just yeah. love each other. Be with each other forever. Oh, it's so cute. I love it. But it's it wouldn't have worked because right. you're like, it's so true. You came out it, sort of like Patrick and uh, and David holding someone's hand. Hold, yeah. Uh, but it, he ends up in the hospital. A lot of people end up in the hospital. They get beat up. They get, you know. Mm. Things happen, especially it was a lot dangerous to be out and open. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of both. There's a yeah. little bit of, like, the joy and a little bit of the trauma. This show, if they tried to make it now, would, as the same script, the same plot lines, uh, the, you know, the same characters, and they set, they made it now, we would all be like, why are we repeating the story that, like, right. gays should be bashed and all of this? Now it would be different. Yeah, that's what it so that's kind of what I want to end with is I guess what's your hope for specifically if this show gets rebooted, what is your hope for it? And then I guess what is your hope for representation of queer characters and couples on television moving forward? Uh I am starting to see this happening in you're starting to see it happen in Fire Island. This was the first year that they had a Juneteenth uh, celebration mm. and I've talked to you a little bit about the radical fairies which if you don't know what they are a brief little idea of them was they are a group of queers who are essentially chosen family for each other they have mm. parties they have events you go to them and you're starting to see more and more inclusivity in it not being about like cis male people but you're seeing more f non-binary people, more people of the femme experience. Uh, you're, and I really think that that's where I wish if Queer as Folk were to be rebooted now, we would see more of that because that is a crazy phenomenon for me is the gay community. You have all of these, you go on Grindr and you see like mask only. And you're like, we're still doing that where you just mm. only want, a, it just, it's, I can't imagine you know, leaving your family to go be yourself and you join a group of people you have been told is your people and you get mm -hmm. there and they're all, not all of them, but like probably two thirds of them are misogynistic against you or. Right. I'm, I would love for people to show what being pansexual is like, being non-binary right. is like. So people can understand just how stupid gender is, so just how stupid sexuality is. Mm -hmm. I think if Queer as Folk was remade now, it probably would be. It has a great opening sequence. The title sequence is like just a bunch of silhouettes of like sexy people dancing with in colors. I love that. And I don't know the, the song, but anytime a beat comes on like that, I'm like, anyone else know this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess we'll see what they do. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's going to Peacock, the NBC oh, okay. streaming site. Good for Peacock. All right. If, I, if Girls 5 Eva didn't... Um, I hope Big Frida makes make a, do it. A, a, a little cameo in the show. That's your hope? Big Frida. Yeah, look her okay. up. All right, JP. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Of course, Megan. Love you. Love you. 
All right, y'all, that's our episode. Happy slightly belated Pride, but now you can take all these TV wrecks with you so that it's prideful all year long. Thank you to everybody who came on the episode today. I'm so grateful for your time and for sharing your experiences. And everyone, find us on Instagram at Talking Ship Podcast or online at TalkingShipPodcast.com and tell us about the characters that we missed. Share with us your experiences of the queer characters, stories, couples that impacted you. And I will also go ahead and share the GLAD study in the link in the bio, as well as everybody's socials. I really recommend reading the GLAD study, especially if you are a fan of TV, just to know what networks are representing LGBTQ characters well, as well as characters of color, trans characters, non-binary characters. The study goes over all of it. So just, you know, so you can know who you're throwing your money at. And I also wanted to announce at this time that much like television, Talking Ship is going to take a bit of a summer hiatus. It is not exclusively so I can have Hot Girl Summer. It's only a little bit so I can have Hot Girl Summer. It's mostly so I can catch up on TV, bank a bunch of episodes, and come back in the fall feeling refreshed and consistent and uh, ready to talk more shit. So in the meantime, you can continue to find me at OnlyMegan815 and... You know, who knows? Maybe in the fall, I'll have a whole love story to share, but probably not. I'm probably just going to be living through fictional characters because as we know, that's what I do. So I hope you maybe go back, listen to some old episodes. I hope you go and watch some summer TV, binge some old stuff, catch up on some new stuff. Tell me what you want me to talk about when we come back in the fall. I've already got quite a long list of TV I want to watch this summer, but I'm always taking recs. So you can find me on Instagram at OnlyMegan815. Continue to follow us at Talking Ship Podcast on Instagram, and we'll be back in the fall. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. It's been an amazing year plus of episodes, and I'm so ready. I can't wait to come back for, um, I guess, season two is what we'll call it. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.